0: Welcome to response radio where you ask and we answer questions of jewish law in modern times i'm rabbi avi killip here with rabbi ethan tucker Rosh at hadar a center for jewish learning based in new york city i guess we are still based in new york city right but we but i feel a little bit like we've expanded to the world in the last few months it's uh, somehow the flip side of we haven't left our homes and yet we've become citizens of the world. Um, so we're, we're excited to be recording this podcast from our homes in New York City. We have had some opportunity to record episodes since COVID, since coronavirus, and we've addressed, you know, different questions about how Halakha has changed in this moment um, some question about counting in a minion. Uh, we obviously talked a lot about how our high holiday experience would be different, and you know, I, I still feel and would be curious to hear your thoughts on on sort of the broad question of how much do we change halacha for a moment when we don't know how long the moment will last. Um, but I think the question that we have today before us is is a really interesting one because it's not asking us to change the halakha necessarily to accommodate anything, but we're trying to figure out how we can fulfill our obligations, and, and in this case, it's actually interpersonal obligations, without making this pandemic worse, I guess I would say. How do we honor the obligation to keep ourselves safe um, and also fulfill the requirements we have to each other as, as individuals. Okay, here's the question. And I think that um, this question could probably apply to many of our listeners, if not, sadly, all of our listeners over the course of the last few months. In the past six months, I have been invited to several Zoom funerals and Zoom shivas. I also know that many hospitals and nursing homes have limited visitors and directed people to communicate with sick patients through phone and video chat. Can the essence of our obligation to visit the sick and comfort mourners really be fulfilled over Zoom? What does our tradition have to teach us about this mode of personal interaction?
1: Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a question, as you say, we're all sadly familiar with. And, uh, you know, what I'll say in a way, it goes back to where you started us. Part of what, you know, I think we love about this show is we get these questions where people are, you know, throwing us something. They're like, this is totally unprecedented. What do I do about this? And then sort of when you dig in, you realize, oh, actually, there's plenty of precedents. We just have to think kind of creatively about what's analogous. To what we're going through? You mean you mean the rabbis of the Talmud didn't
0: do Zoom funerals?
1: uh, Well, we'll see. (laughs) It seems not, but you know they had more of it than we might think. I hope we'll we'll sort of get to that um, as we go through here. And yeah, the notion that there are sort of answers from other times and places to the underlying values, such that the question isn't necessarily how do we change halacha for a given circumstance, but how do we apply it? How do we apply it thoughtfully? So this is something I think we're all we're all grappling with, and we're also, I should say, all dealing with this uh, in a sort of uh, regular way, whether or not we feel good about the answer or not. Mm-hmm. This is also a situation where. We've all developed some kind of protocol around this, you know, going to funerals, how the funerals are happening, Shiva visiting the sick. Uh, and in some ways, the question is more, are we totally off track? <laughs> Do we have some basis? Um, in a way, it's like the practice is leading uh, the theory here. And that's what I hope we can sort of get to the bottom
0: of it. Yeah, I think that is something that makes this question really interesting is that most of the questions, I don't know, all of the questions that we talk about, it usually feels like there is a choice. Um, You know, should I do this thing? Can I do this thing? And in this case, it feels like I want to just say like, well, no, Zoom funerals are not good enough. Now what? Where does that leave us? Um, So I'm curious to to sort of hear what, what your thoughts are, but also to hear you know, what do we even do at the end of the day? What are our options even if we feel that, um, that it's not working? Or do we sort of have no choice but to answer like, yep, it works because that's all we have.
1: So yeah, I'd actually like to do something a little different in this answer. Um, you know, the direct question here was actually addressed a number of times by recent authorities in the context of the telephone. Um, In particular, there are two responses by Rav Moshe Feinstein that we'll talk about. But more interesting to me than his answer is his analysis. And then I think there's a meta question here, which in a way goes back to what you started us with, which I would reformulate as how do you deal with an environment in which it feels like you cannot fulfill the mitzvot as they are supposed to be fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Like, What do you do then? Do you just say, well, I'm exempt or do you do some mimicking uh, of it in some way? But let's jump in here. Let's talk about what precedents we have. And if it's okay, I think we'll break it up into, well, let's start with visiting the sick and then we'll move with, uh, you know, comforting mourners. Great. So with, with visiting the sick the the classic midrashic paradigm is god appearing to avraham in the tent after his circumcision right he's sitting there Mm -hmm. in the heat of the day and we imagine that to be um god coming to visit avraham and in that sense it's a very powerful paradigm of a personal visit right god is coming to avraham in the tent and yet who actually comes or appears malachim Right. We've got messengers. Hmm. There are angels, um, which puts a little bit of distance. It's like, is God visiting or did God send some people? Are the messengers a kind of a phone call? Um, so we already have a little bit of uh, of tension there that I think is sort of a nice way to you know, just begin to anchor. Um, what is even a visit? You know, look? I
0: like. love it. I love that as a metaphor. I love the image of God. Like, well, God was in quarantine from the world. Like, God can't access the world directly because that would be too dangerous. So God has to find some other mm-hmm. way to communicate. I think that's a really powerful, a powerful image. If, if a little silly, I think it could also be really, really meaningful.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's get a little more practical. Um, and here I sort of have, have like f- four sources that stack up two on two. <laughs> uh, sort of maybe two leading in the direction of, of course, you have to be there physically. Mm-hmm. And two, that, I don't know, seem to open up something that's a little broader. So there's a passage in the Talmud and Bava Metziah, uh which is reflecting on this verse, uh, the Hodata lahem mm-hmm. Derach yelchuvah. It's a verse that uh, basically Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, is telling him, here's you have to, you know, line up your judges in the community and you better tell them the path they need to walk on. That seems like it's obviously a metaphorical statement, um, but that's taken by the Midrash. Well, oh, they're, they're walking. Wh- where must they be walking? In other words, teach the judges, the leaders in your community, how to visit the sick. And from the fact that it's the route lalechet there to go, that seems to really underscore this is a physical proximity mitzvah. Mm-hmm. There's someone sick, you go to visit them. Uh, a dramatic example. Of this uh, happening, and why it might actually be critically important to be there. The Talmud in Nidarim tells the story of there was one of Rabbi Akiva's students who got sick, and none of the sages were going to visit him. And Rabbi Akiva then said, "You know what's going on here? I got to go visit him." And when he went in and visited him, basically he discovered that like his apartment was totally filthy, mm-hmm. and it says Rabbi Akiva like swept the floor and cleaned it up. And as a result, the student recovered. And uh, right. he said to Rabbi Akiva, You saved my life, right? Famous story. And Rabbi Akiva then comes out and says, Wow, anyone who doesn't visit the sick, it's as if they've killed them. Now, that's not just about he was nice to them. It's like only by being present were you able to realize what the needs were. And we all know this, right? Like you call someone on the phone or you send them an email. It's an expression of concern, but you don't really know what's going on with them. You can't feel their body language. You can't see their physical surroundings. So these are sources that I think really are kind of uncompromising of, no, no, no. Visiting the sick is not sending a get well card. Visiting the sick is showing up with your body in the presence of another human being and on some level diagnosing. What do they need?
0: Yeah, and I think there's also a, uh, it's it's not an emotional activity here. It's actually a physical care. People might need food. They might need cleanliness. Um, there's actually physical needs that people have when they're sick that you can't fulfill over the internet. Right, exactly right.
1: So those are going to be the sources that I think will, will make us, perhaps rightly, feel pretty lousy about visiting the sick, you know, over. Yeah. I'm
0: curious. Um, it seems to me like, the reason why we're visiting people through Zoom right now is because we don't want to get sick. But isn't that always a concern? Like, they must have shared that concern, right? They certainly understood less about about germs, so maybe they didn't understand how things were contagious, but I feel like they must have. Um, and And I've never actually heard, you know, I've never read a text that said, The judges should go visit the sick, except if they're really important people, because then they should really be sheltered from germs. Like that's that's never been a part of our texts in our history.
1: Uh, It's a perfect segue to I'm not sure we'll get, you know, what you'd love to see in terms of an epidemiological parallel to how we think Mm -hmm. about it today. But the notion, the notion that not all in-person visiting of the sick is good is present there. And here, let's go to two other, two other sources. So also in Nidarim, Nidarim is full of uh, material about visiting the sick. So a lot of the stuff is clustered there. Uh, you have um, a statement in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, who says the following. He says, you don't visit people who basically have gastrointestinal illness, mm-hmm. nor people who have eye pain, nor people who have headaches. Now, who knows, that statement alone may be nothing more than uh, some version maybe of what you're saying, which is, maybe they had some sense these were contagious, or who knew? Here comes the why, but it's not clear it's a part of Rabbi Eliezer's original statement. Why don't you visit people with uh, GI issues? Because of shame. Mm -hmm. The idea may be basically they may be incontinent, and you may walk in on them at a moment of incontinence, and it will not help them in terms of their emotional state. People who are suffering from eye pain and headaches, that is explained by Ravi Uda as, it is difficult for those people to talk, and it will raise their fever. Mm -hmm. Essentially, your presence with certain people will make them exert themselves in a way that will make them feel worse. So here you have a kernel of some notion of, oh, you know, sometimes you're not, you're not supposed to visit. <laughs> um, and, and we'll come back to that case in a second. Another one which is fascinating is the Talmud, as you might expect it to, comes up with a case of a person who has swore off getting any benefit from another person. Okay, in other words, let's say I'm in a big fight with you, Uh all right? And I say, uh, I'm not going to allow myself to get any benefit from you whatsoever. So the Talmud first says, yeah, 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 but that doesn't extend to not visiting. Wait, just to be
0: clear, it's saying if you can't benefit from me, I shouldn't visit you when you're sick or you shouldn't visit me when I'm sick?
1: The former, meaning if I say I can't get any benefit from you, then if you visit me while I'm sick, I'm getting benefit from you. Got it. And it's sort of also incumbent, it's incumbent upon you to respect the boundary of my vow.
0: It's like don't visit your enemies when they're sick and they can't turn you away. Yeah. So the Talmud says, though,
1: if I swear off any benefit from you, you can still visit me while I'm sick. Because I didn't mean the benefit to extend to something that might actually in a way save my life or, Mm -hmm. you know, in some way revive me. But if my son gets sick, you're not allowed to visit uh, me at home while I'm taking care of my son because, yeah, I, I may have actually very much meant to keep you entirely away from, uh, from him. It's not like I have some implicit carve-out for my own survival. So what are you supposed to do, says the Talmud? Sho bashuk. You're supposed to ask me in the marketplace how my kid is doing. Now, this is a little bit tangential, but part of what's interesting is it is a case, as a potential analog, where there is a reason, here it's the vow, that you are not allowed in my house. You are not actually able to visit my kid who's sick, and yet the Talmud says, hey, you should ask about the kid Outside of the house, they imagine that not to violate the ban on benefit in the same way, and then there the question is, well, does that mean that that kind of counts as a bikur cholim? Is that a way of inquiring after the well-being of mm-hmm. the sick that is a fulfillment of the mitzvah, or no? That's just some other nicety, <laughs> uh, but that you know is not really actually the full mitzvah. That's going to be one of the yeah. questions that Rav Moshe Feinstein will take.
0: There's up. a lot there, um, and this is, this is probably quite obviously not the purpose of that text. But one of the things I take away from that actually is that visiting the sick, the first text you brought really made clear it's about the sick person. Um, and this one shows that visiting the sick is of tremendous benefit to the family members of the person who is sick. Um, which I think is something we really experience as true. Like a a delirious person with a fever may or may not remember that you stopped by to sweep their room, but their spouse who's been nonstop taking care of them will definitely remember, um, or their parent. Um, That I think it's, it's, again, it's a weird and convoluted way to make the point, but the point remains, I think, incredibly true in our time that one of the things that's been so hard about not having visitors to the sick is that it leaves all of the caretaking, emotional and physical on the family members who are live, sharing the home with the person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So look, the closing point on that, going back to the text that talked about, you know, the people who have certain kinds of conditions uh, who you don't uh, visit them. The closest I think we get to a Zoom visit <laughs> is in the Torah Ta'adam, the Ramban, responding to that uh to that piece of Talmud says, okay, we learn from that, that if there's someone who's sick for whom it's hard for them to speak to you, or, Mm -hmm. you know, exerting will be hard. You don't, you don't visit them. But, what does he say? You stand in the outer hall. And you kind of yell in, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need me to clean up in your room?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you just sort of listen, take orders, and then you go and you do the things that need to be done and you pray for them. Yeah. And basically it's a way of don't be a burden, but you have to find a way appropriately to check in. I have to say, I
0: I have to say that image, this is probably um, too graphic for a podcast, but I'm going to share it anyway. I think the image of, uh, I can see myself having done that, especially in times when I've had roommates and it's like, you can hear them throwing up in the bathroom and it's like, you're not going to go in there, but you sort of stand in the hallway and you say like, are you okay? (laughs) What do you need? Like, I'm here. I know you don't want me in there, but I just, you should know that, like, I love you. (laughs) Um, Which is, like, such a, you know, I don't know if other people will identify with that experience. Whether it's a family member or a, um, you know, or a roommate or a friend or a a colleague at school. Sometimes you're in a public restroom and you hear that someone's sick. You're like, I'm not going in there, but, like, if you need me, I can help you. Um, That just feels like a very... A human experience
1: yeah no it's a it's it's nice to see it affirmed across the generations uh as you say we we've all we've all been there i think on one side of the door or the right. other and uh and yeah so again really the, the main question is when the ramban says that is he saying well you can't visit the sick in that case like you're actually exempt from the mitzvah but you know do this other thing which is nice or is he saying No, like in that context, that's how you visit the
0: sick. Yeah. I think also um, the one that says, ask in the marketplace, how's the sun doing? I think our modern marketplace could very easily be associated with social media, right? And, And I would almost say, yeah, if I post, how are you guys doing on social media? That's nice and good, but that is not visiting the sick. That is actually the definition in this text of not visiting the sick. It's doing something else instead. And, and maybe it's not nothing, but it's not the same.
1: Yeah. So that's it's a beautiful transition to this is exactly what Rav Moshe Feinstein, the great 20th century American posek, tries to do on this question. He basically tries to say, look, the divide here is between he chooses to formulate it this way, fully doing the mitzvah and doing what you can. So he's not willing to say I actually think he would push back on your formulation. He would say, I'm not willing to say asking about someone's well-being on Facebook is entirely not visiting the sick, but it is not the full expression of the mitzvah of visiting the Mm -hmm. sick. And if you are able to do more than that, you have not fulfilled your obligation. So the divide basically for him becomes it's kind of a split um, in another way between making sure that the person in question is being personally visited that can happen with a rotation right you don't need 12 people to come through and sweep the room you don't need 12 people to come through uh, and figure out all the needs you just need the person to be not isolated and You need to make sure that the person is being prayed for there's concern and that can actually happen almost anywhere even though ideally it happens in person but of course the act of calling someone up on the phone and checking in on how they're doing is of course going to raise their spirits that's of course going to be better but he's trying to sort of hold the line and we'll see this in a minute with comforting mourners um how do we encourage people to do everything that they can do Without deluding themselves that, oh, this is the new electronic way of doing the mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the fine line. I think we're walking with so much of this COVID stuff, right? Whether it's with Zoom yanim or these issues that we're talking about. You know, you don't want to cut people off entirely, but you don't want people to sort of forget and completely reprogram themselves for the virtual uh, above the person.
0: Yeah, you know what I'll say? I sort of started this podcast by joking, hey, we're in New York, but we're everywhere now because space doesn't matter. I think this text is telling me exactly the opposite, actually, which is when it comes to what are my obligations, like what's my chiyuv, what's my obligation to others, that I have a different obligation, the way you put it was, if I can show up in person, I have a different level of Mm -hmm. obligation for Bikur Cholim to the people who live in my apartment building and in Riverdale, and in New York than I do to friends that I have who are in Israel who have COVID, who are struggling. Um, And I can can ask about their welfare, but I can't fundamentally show up for them right now in a way that if the person in the apartment next to mine is sick, I should be showing up in a very different way, you know, whether that's providing meals or sweeping the floor or figuring out what their actual needs are um, to sort of remind us that there is actually a physical component and and proximity and access to that person's home really plays a role in what my obligation is
1: yeah that's actually a fascinating reflection on this to the best of my memory ravmosha does not engage that corollary question um of it's one thing to ask about an individual person oh i could do it on the telephone or i could visit them you know which is better okay i think we feel pretty clear about the direction we're going there you're pushing us that if we take his framework seriously one of the corollaries might be, if my choice is, I don't know, 10 social media messages of concern and one proper visit to someone in my apartment building, and let's raise the stakes further. 10 like really good friends who are in my network, who mm-hmm. I suspect are going to be there with me in 30 years, but I'm doing a sort of superficial check-in, or maybe even meaningful, I don't want to say superficial, but in, not in person. And someone who maybe they're less close to me. Right? But the act of visiting them is going to be so much more intense, it seems like, yeah, you might conclude that the latter is actually what you should use your bandwidth on. And I think that is another piece of the virtual world. We can sort of hide in the accessibility of our networks of comfort um, as opposed to sort of pushing ourselves, yeah, but what are the gmilut chasadim showing up in person mitzvot, Even for people who we're otherwise less close with, but are going to activate that part of our brain, our soul, our mitzvah performance.
0: Right. It's pretty intense. It's like we could say uh, one lasagna is worth 30 Facebook messages, 30 tweets. Um, I think there's something to me that's so powerful. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of... Being in the hospital and um, in New York, this is a thing like a Cholim room, you know, a room that Jews have set up in the hospital yeah. that just has, you know, cereal and kugels and whatever people might need that you can dip into. It's such a powerful experience, even when you have no idea who yeah. put that stuff there um, and you you will never meet them and you feel so nourished in such a physical way from that kind of care, even if you have friends and family who are coming to visit you, there's something really unique about that.
1: Yeah. Great. Can we can we move to the mourners piece? Because I think there's there's parallel here, but there, here too, Rav Moshe adds to me what's a sort of fascinating uh, analysis, which I think can be helpful beyond the question. So, so let's look here, sort of what do we have here? I, I started the last piece with a midrash. I'll, I'll do that here too. The classic midrash of, well, how do you know you're supposed to... Uh, you know, comfort mourners is after Avram dies. There's this phrase, "Va'yivarech Elohim et Yitzhak beno." Now, probably the pa- plain sense of that is we would translate that as "God blessed uh, Yitzhak Avram's son," and it probably means like wealth. Meaning, you know, after mm-hmm. after Avram died, Yitzhak nonetheless and maybe even more prospered, and he was okay. But "Va'yivarech" in Biblical Hebrew can also mean to greet someone. Um, it talks, when Yaakov and Pharaoh meet, uh, it says, uh, you know, that there was a greeting between them. So the Midrash reads, basically, God came and greeted Yitzchak after Avram died. Wow, so Meaning both Abraham of these...
0: Yitzchak is mourning and God visits him. So both of these mitzvot are imitation of God. I love it, and not just because my name is Avi, so I really identify with Avraham.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's, this is the strongest uh, of imitating God's ways, sort of all these uh, interpersonal mitzvot. So we can ask, though, here we don't have the angels, right? Like, was this in person, <laughs> as mm-hmm. it were? Was it just God imbuing imbuing Yitzchak with a feeling of comfort, or was there an actual encounter? Right? I think that Vayavarach is meant to be ready or some kind of encounter. Look, truth be told, the question of whether you need to visit the mourner in person to console them uh, is a kind of, you know, absurd, absurd question historically. Like, well, obviously, I mean, this is the most intuitive anthropological category. Of course you visit in person. The institution of mourning and people visiting mourners predates the torah predates any jewish frame on it the whole thing is someone's vulnerable uh you show up uh so really the question is not you know oh is there an equivalent of doing it over the phone but what do we do when that's impossible all
0: right i think i just want to pause for a second to um i guess to mourn the that fact um i suppose pun intended just to say that it is. Like what I hear you saying is it is so clear and obvious and and innate almost that when we have a loss, we need people around us and that people have not had that for the last six months. Um, And really that that this loss has extended to all deaths, not just COVID deaths in the last six months. Um, Nobody has been able to welcome welcome uh, Shiva visitors into their homes and that that it's just a tremendous loss in terms of human human interaction over the last six months. I
1: I saw a very, very poignant and painful piece, Uh, you may have seen it as well by a congregational rabbi, um, talking about why it was so painful for him whenever he saw large gatherings in the contemporary moment Uh, of people seeming to cavalierly congregate, you know, without masks, without social distancing, but on some level, you know, congregating in large numbers at all, given how much he and his community had been through in recent months of people not having shivas, not having gatherings that, you know, of course, you you never want your you never want your relatives to to pass away. But everyone knows that that's going to be a part of their life experience. And on some level, it's not as if you're waiting around for a shiva. But in a way, people yeah. of course imagine right. my par- I'm going to lose my parents someday. There's going to be that moment where I'll be there. There's all kinds of people in recent months who have had that taken away from them, and you know the pain that he was describing. Uh, putting aside the you know the social policy piece. The pain he was describing is a reflection of this. It's just a basic thing people expect they'll be able to do in the wake of death is congregate with other people. Right,
0: right. It's just a tremendous loss. But, but given that we don't have that, yeah, where do you think that leaves us on the technology?
1: All right, so here's the, here's the text that potentially opens this up from an unexpected direction. This is in the Talmud in Shabbat, and it's a statement of Rav Yehuda. And he says, And he says, <laughs> fascinating ruling he says a, a a dead person literally okay a dead person who has no one to comfort them 10 people in that case should go and sit in his place in the place of the dead person all right let, let's just translate yeah. what, what's actually going on here. What's going on here is someone who died without leaving behind any direct relatives. There's no one sitting Shiva. But the people sitting Shiva here are not called Avelim. They're not called mourners. They're called Menachamin. They're called Comforters. And what are you supposed to do when someone dies without any relatives? You're basically supposed to gather a minion and those people at least sit some kind of symbolic Shiva in this person's home mm-hmm. now that already opens up a whole dimension which we'll get back to in a second of who's being comforted here <laughs> and what's the need so the talmud follows it up with a story that kind of lays this bare um there was someone who died in ravi Yehuda's neighborhood the talmud tells us and he had no menachamin there was no one to comfort him. Again, being yeah. used in the sense of there were no direct relatives to mourn. Every day Rabbi Yehuda would gather up ten people and go sit in the the deceased person's place, which seems to be like their home. Yeah. Right? Like you, you go into their apartment. After seven days it says Rabbi Yehuda had a dream where the deceased appeared to him in the dream and say, May your mind be settled because you settled my mind so what happened here the agitated spirit as it were was not a mourner who was alive but was the deceased themselves that is to say there was a circle that was never closed here for the deceased in a way that Shiva according to this text is meant to actually be the direct relatives are performing this function for the person who has passed away. And if there are no direct relatives, the community is responsible to do that. And the language of nihum here is some kind of comfort that is not actually about the chayim, about the living, but about the dead, the metim. And that leads the Ramba Maimonides when he is talking about these interpersonal mitzvot. He says, it seems to me, based on this passage in the Talmud, that if you have to choose Between comforting a mourner and visiting the sick, you have to prefer comforting the mourner. Why? Because visiting the sick is only important for the living, whereas visiting the mourner is also a chesed lamitim, it's doing something for those who have passed away. All right. Let's pause All right. there. It's such a rich text with so many dimensions.
0: Yeah. You got to you got to spill it up for me. I'm not sure I quite understand. Um, not sure I quite understand the takeaway of the text itself. And also, I'm not sure I understand the Rambam's um, assessment of it. You know, I, I just think I could see the other way around. Like, well, one could save a life and one couldn't. You know, I don't I'm not sure I understand that right. either.
1: So a lot, yeah, you just articulated that the, the Baz among others, jumps on the Rambam for that practical conclusion <laughs> and doesn't like it. To me, what's interesting, what I would lift up from this is, it's more the Rambam recognizing that this text is highlighting that when we visit uh, mourners, there's actually a dual functionality there. There is an element of visiting those who are in pain and who are in need, and there is a visit, there is an element of... Uh, somehow performing some kind of kindness uh, to the to the deceased. Let, let's just play it out because this mm-hmm. is de- what's developed here is again Rav Moshe Feinstein answering a question of can you comfort mourners over the telephone? I think he brilliantly uses this text to break up. Nichuma velim, break up the mitzvah of comforting mourners into two parts. Part one is being with living people in pain. And part two is doing honor to the dead. Yeah. And his argument is as follows. You can do number one over the telephone, but you can't do number two over the telephone. Number one, this person feels alone. Oh, I, the only way they're gonna know I even like care about them at the, this moment is to sort of log into a Zoom call. And Rav Moshe's affirming that, that really does do that work. In many ways, right? The Shiva phone calls. And to me, it's actually been Mm -hmm. very striking, having been a part of a few Zoom shivas and knowing the shivas where I would not have been able to make it at all. And ones even where I would have been able to be on the phone, but they can see my face. Right. And it makes a huge difference, right? But on the other hand, says Rav Moshe, this text of Rav Yehuda emphasizes where do the 10 people go? They don't say Tehillim in Shul. They don't go and just pray. They have to go to the deceased person's home. They actually have to be there on some level in the place where that loss is living. And that is something we are losing. We have loss of now. And so here, too, I think Rav Moshe is giving us very helpful frame here. Not just the guidance, which is similar, which is, of course, you should go in person if you can. If you can't, you'll be able to do part of this mitzvah, but not all of it. More important and moving to me is he's pushing us to take mitzvot and think deeply about what are the multiple things they might accomplish, how can I accomplish some of them in difficult situations, and how do I not kid myself that there's other parts I'm probably not
0: accomplishing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what what your lived experience of attending these ceremonies has been. I think that I... I actually, the Zoom funerals that I attended, I actually, um I felt deeply connected to the people who had died. And in some senses, some of them had a lot of people. And I'm not sure that the mourners had any idea. If I would have been there in person, they would have seen me. I'm not sure they had any idea that I logged into those funerals. But uh, I just felt deeply connected to the, like the lives and the souls of the people who had been lost um, in a way that I don't know, it feels like it hit on that second piece. Um, whereas the Zoom Shivas, I think more more of the first, right? Like, yeah, those were smaller. The people who I was visiting saw me there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much comfort it brought. Um, you know, again, interestingly, I felt I felt compelled to join Zoom Shivas for people who live in my building. It's like, oh, I would have been at that Shiva. I felt more of an obligation, I think, to be at the Zoom Shivas of people who who I would have been, even if I'm less close with you. Um But but I I don't know, I feel a little bit like I I have felt the experience of both of those elements of this.
1: Yeah. So really, this on some level goes to my point, which is, I think Rav Moshe's answer is one thing. And you're, you know, potentially raising some questions and poking some reasonable holes in the framework. Like, is is that the only right way to think about it? You're still engaging in the same dynamic he's offering, which to me is what's significant, which is. Don't just treat this as like, oh, there's bigger holim, there's nichom avelim, I did it or I didn't do it. It's, these are multivalent mitzvot and experiences and human interactions. Try to be thoughtful about locating the different components and then sort of ask yourself, you know, am I, am I doing them, right? You can make an argument also that by Zoom, you know, a lot of people do feel that uh, the presence of seeing someone's face Well, maybe it does cross that threshold, Mm -hmm. right, of actually feeling like they're there. I'm seeing, you know, the emotion lines, (laughs) you know, in your expression and all sorts of things. So I don't claim certainly to have the, you know, the monopoly on the answer here or even to say that Rav Moshe's answer is the only one. But he's doing something, to my mind, very healthy for the Zoom era, (laughs) uh, the COVID era, which is to try to get us away from a binary answer of, I fulfilled the obligation I didn't fulfill the obligation I'm exempt I'm obligated as opposed to well sometimes it'll break down that way Um, but sometimes we have to figure out what else can we do you know we had this earlier in the year we were trying to figure out uh, what about people who can't get to a Megillah reading is it you know okay is it positive is it necessary to read the Megillah over zoom Um, And, you know, at Hadar, we ended up having a reading like that, Though we introduced it by saying, truth be told, we're not 100 percent convinced that it's completely fine to fulfill this obligation over Zoom. But one, it might be there's there's some reasonable argument that yes, two, even if it's not, there's a value. To people hearing the text of the Megillah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if they're exempt formally from having to hear it. And that's where I think this is pushing. It's sort of like, but it's, it's like in the other direction. There's a value to visiting people and connecting over the telephone and over Zoom. And to the extent there are things that's just not a replacement for in person, don't hide from that. It's okay and maybe even important to note and mark that loss and pray for the day where we can fill it in.
0: Yeah. Another element here that I think is so relevant now in a way that I never would have expected or or certainly hoped, I think there's a whole genre of halachic question, which is, which mitzvah is more important, mitzvah A or mitzvah B? Um, And in general, I kind of always interacted with those as, I guess, thought experiments and not thought experiments that I found particularly moving, like, OK, who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who cares? Which right. It's like, you know, like, I'm, when am I I'm ever going to be like, <laughs> oh, should I go to the bride or should I go to the funeral? Like that's, you know, like how often do these things come up? Right. And I feel like now they are coming up um, in COVID where you are limiting and choosing your interpersonal interaction so carefully to say, you know, do I introduce another in-person visit to visit the sick or to comfort a mourner? Um, I feel like we are having to face those questions. Um, we're having to face questions about high holidays. We were asking questions about better to be in person and do less tefillot, or be at home and do more tfilot. Um, These sort of, you know, how how would you prioritize mitzvot has come up in our lives as something real, and for that I feel grateful that we actually have a tradition that has addressed these questions, even though I always thought that they were silly or just thought experiments.
1: Yeah. It's a great point. It's one of the, another one of the manifestations of what we were talking about earlier of there's usually far more precedence for your unprecedented situation than you think. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is certainly that I think we're, we're grateful that there's guidance uh, on these questions where we otherwise might feel lost.
0: So so where does this leave us? Um, I could think of a lot of different different takeaways in terms of, you know, the What does our tradition have to teach us about this mode of personal interaction? Um, But but where does it leave you? What's your what's your takeaway from having studied these different texts?
1: Yeah, you know, where it leaves me is I think what, you know, we've been talking about throughout, which is how do you um, make real and principled choices in an imperfect world without kidding yourself that those are the perfect and ideal choices? Um, And I just think it's it's so easy um, to fall into the trap of, well, if I've concluded this is what I'm supposed to do, then this is perfectly fine. And it's the ideal. And you're perfectly Yotze fulfilled this mitzvah by doing it that way. I think Rav Moshe Feinstein in the pieces we saw today is really pushing back on that. It's like, no, if you haven't gone the full mile, you know, you haven't done it. And it's equally easy to fall into a kind of nihilistic trap of, well, I just can't live the Jewish life I'm supposed to now, so it's all just kind of one big ball of chaos. Um, And here it's like, no, remember, there were always people who for some reason, whether it was because of a vow or their condition, couldn't visit each other in person. Uh, there have always been situations where we've had to ask, there's no mourner here, but is there still a mitzvah of comfort mm-hmm. um, And we've always been probing those questions. And it's incumbent upon us just to keep doing that today with our own circumstances and variables. Yeah,
0: I'll say this. There aren't so many episodes of Response Radio that we get to the end of. And I think, wow, I think I need to change my practice. Um, and I think this falls into that category. I'm leaving this conversation actually feeling much more called upon to show up in person in ways that I think I have been relying on. The internet, you know, emails, texts to, to check in on people. And this is leaving me, leaving me to think, yeah, I'm not going to show up for everybody all the time, but probably I need to incorporate a few more in-person actions um, in one category or the other, um, whether we go with Rambam's priority or the other way around. Um, there's, there's probably room in my life to take these mitzvot a little more seriously in this time in terms of showing up. And I think probably the showing up will mean more than it ever did because there are fewer people able to do that. Sponsor Radio is a project of the Hadar Institute and Jewish Public Media. Thanks to Noah Gendler for editing this episode. Have a halachic question you'd like answered on the show? Email us at at halachahadar.org. That's H A L A K H A H at Hadar.org. Would you like to sponsor an episode of Responsor Radio? You can email response Radio at Hadar.org. <laughs>